Welcome back to another session of Better Podcasting Chats with me, SP. This is a streamed and recorded casual chat with hobby and passion podcasters to share their experience, knowledge, and joy of podcasting. Once this live stream is over, I'm going to take those recorded files and turn it into a podcast. Better Podcasting is a project by Stephen John Drew and myself to help hobby and passion podcasters start their podcasts and make their existing projects better, thus better podcasting. Now, since my last chat session, I have a, an important announcement regarding better podcasting. Stephen and I had a long call about the future of better podcasting, and we're looking at a return of the main show before the end of 2022. So stay tuned for future announcements with more specifics. I don't have any more specifics right now, but there will be announcements coming in the next few weeks. Now, this past week in space has been really busy, so I apologize, but I am going to go through it because they're major stuff. My return to the moon watch continues at NASA's Artemis is hoping for a September 23rd launch attempt following repairs of the tail service mast umbilicals quick disconnect hydrogen fuel line. You try saying that five times fast. This date is dependent on the U.S. Space Force's waiver of the SLS Flight Termination System certification. So, my watch will continue for another few weeks on NASA's continued return to the moon. Meanwhile, SpaceX's Starship development continues. The Starship Main Booster Number 7 underwent a successful 30 rocket engine prime spin test. And the Starship S-24 underwent a successful full six-engine static fire test for about six seconds. And then it resulted in a literal dumpster fire. Yes, a literal dumpster fire. Dumpster fire on the test stand area caught fire. And unfortunately, the wild grass around the test pad caught on fire, which burned out a significant portion of the surrounding area. Everyone is anxiously awaiting what is happening with Starship since both NASA's Artemis and SpaceX's Starship will be needed to return people to the moon under the Artemis program. And this is late breaking news as we start this stream today on Monday, September 12th, 2022. I saw something astounding. Blue Origin's New Shepard N23 launch was aborted about a minute after takeoff in West Texas due to the main booster failure. No one was on board, and the capsule was full of scientific experiments, some of which were made by grade schoolers. The capsule aborted successfully and landed safely on the ground. There is currently no word on what caused the New Shepard failure in the booster. The FAA will investigate the event, and Blue Origin's New Shepard is grounded until cleared by the FAA. While this was the same system that brought a few people into orbit, like William Shatner, very briefly, about five minutes, the human-rated booster is New Shepard's booster number four, while the booster that experienced the anomaly today was booster number three. Now, booster number one crashed in development in 2015, and booster number two was retired after five successful flights in 2016. This was booster number three's ninth flight. Now, transitioning to my other podcasting stuff over on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we continue to have a blast reviewing the Disney Plus series She-Hulk Attorney at Law. If you haven't checked that out, please do so. I think you'll enjoy it. It's been worth the watch so far, and we're excited to discuss all the major D26 announcements over the weekend on our next episode, so catch that over on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. In case you are new to Better Podcasting Chats with SP, if you are a hobby or passion podcaster, I am interested in chatting with you. And if you want to schedule a time to chat with me about your podcasting experience and your podcast, please send me an email to stargatepioneer at betterpodcasting.com or send me a DM on Twitter or Discord and we'll arrange a date. In case you don't think this applies to you, it probably does. And I'm excited to chat with you. Now, for the next hour, I'm chatting with a Hall of Fame award-winning podcaster who proclaims to have been podcasting since 1999. He's organized and held his own community meetup convention called Nerdtacular. He's a true artist and creator, producing the webcomic Extra Life starting in 2001 and the webcomic Fred and Can starting in 2019. He's a host of many shows such as The Morning Stream, Film Sack, Play Retro, and There Will Be Dungeons, to name a few, all on the podcast network Frog Pants, which he founded. He guests on the weekly daily 
Tech News Show with Tom Merritt, Sarah Lane, and producer Anthony Amos Lemos, who previously chatted with me a few weeks ago. He has created his own card games, and I'm sure there's a few dozen accomplishments that I haven't even covered yet that hobby and passion podcasters and enthusiasts would all enjoy learning from. Welcome to the chat, Mr. Scott Johnson. Well, hello, and thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here talking uh, some of the the primordial ooze of making podcasts and creating content. And primordial ooze is probably correct for you since your Twitter profile says you started podcasting in 1999, which is five years before Adam Curry and Dave Weiner invented RSS. Yeah, that's true. Um, It was called just Scott putting MP3s up on a website at the time, but I have always had a bug for radio since I was a very little kid. And the minute it was possible to create MP3s, which was really the big innovation at that point, 99, 98, 99, I went, well, of course, I'm going to make some of those. And I did them around sort of a hobbyist view of a video game that I was following at the time, a, a full modification of Unreal Tournament called Infiltration. I love that thing. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to make a little show. I'm going to call it Infiltration Radio. And I'm going to start putting these up on a, on a site. And then people can come on there and check it out and play it in Winamp or whatever player they're going to use back in those days. Little did I know that digital audio would become not only a much bigger thing, but there would be better tools and better technology to deliver it to people within just a few years from then. But I was just happy to have the medium. I was excited to make it. I was doing some weekends on a local AM station for a tech support sort of radio show that we did on the weekends and i was itching to do my own stuff and this was my chance so i went for it because the internet provided i see so that microphone was calling from you for a very (laughs) early age yeah and i was also in those early days i don't think i had access to much in the way of good bandwidth i think those original episodes were probably like 56k mp3s posted to the website via a dial-up connection because I'm, I'm pretty sure i was still stuck in some dial-up at that time that started changing quickly with dsl dsl and other stuff but in a lot of ways you know i'd glommed onto the internet as a place to put content very early and so that's what i started doing i just saw it as a place to start doing that and it was less of the place it is now it's easy for anyone to put stuff up on there now but back then you had to kind of had to kind of work for it. You had to build your own websites and host somewhere and buy your own domains. And domains were like 75 bucks a year. And, you know, it was just a different animal than it is in 2022. But I regret none of it. It was, uh, it was great to start out early in that space and keep growing it in, uh, into what it's become today. So once the RSS was invented and you glommed onto it, I think was your first podcast Extra Life Radio? Was that your true first podcast? First podcast to be to technically use RSS and be distributed in that way was was Extra Life Radio, which was a show. I purely called it that because I was busy doing my web comic at the time. Another, again, another web based outlet for a traditional medium like comics, and I've, I've been drawing and recording, you know, audio tapes since I was a little kid. So these are just all things that have followed me my whole life. Yeah, the second those standards became, you know, I became aware of them, I jumped all over it and said, well, I'm doing this. Of course I'm doing this. And I immediately got into it. Extra Life Radio was a show that lasted until, let's see, went from early days 03 before the standard, then revived it in 04 with the standard, and that ran until 2009. So pretty good run. At the time, it felt like an an eternal run. It felt like the longest run ever. But since then, I've done shows for 16 years for one of them. Another one just hit 12, I think. Another one hit 13. So I've got like these, this crazy longevity to a few of my shows, which at the time I thought maybe they'd last a couple of years and they've gone much further than I expected. But, but yeah, ELR was the big beginning and it was a great place to sort of experiment and see what the medium was capable of and start to build an audience and a community and you know, that's what we did. It kind of happened organically. I wasn't really trying to do that. My goal was just, in fact, it wasn't really to do anything other than just I had passion for making it. And I thought, well, if I can get an audience that will enjoy it, and I don't care how big or small it is, that'll be enough motivation to do it. I was working full-time as a graphic designer and had been, you know, for my entire adult life at that point. And uh, I had little idea that one day I could turn that into a, you know, a business. 
and and jump out and do it full time. But I did. I indeed ended up doing that in 2009. The same year ELR ended was the year I uh, I kicked out on my own. So, Extra Life Radio was what was preventing you from going full time into <laughs> podcasting. I mean, uh, no, but it sometimes feels weird that that st- stopped the same time I started the full time. But I also turned around and crammed a bunch of new stuff in almost immediately. You and I were talking a little bit pre-show about this, but I I have a really hard time not filling every space I have with new content. What I should have done in 09 is said, all right, let's plan better so that I've got good work-life balance. Instead, I went, nope, every second available to me is now time for me to make more things. And I became the world's worst boss. And I'm the only employee. And I treated myself like crap. And worked worked way, way, way too hard during those early years. And it's one of the things I would actually give people advice about is if you do have the wherewithal and the means to jump out and do it full time, and that took time to get there. But once I did, once you have the means to do that, pay as much attention to quality of the time you're going to create as you do the things you create. Because there is such a thing as just overdoing it or overfilling your schedule. And I have since then sort of learned my dirty lesson and pulled back a little bit. And it hasn't hurt me at all. If anything, it's helped. So if I had any any early advice in this discussion, it would be find a good balance in the beginning, best you can. You're not going to do it perfectly. No one does. But try to do that so you're not you know, burning yourself out after three years or four years. On episode 50 of the main Better Podcasting show, we decided to do something that was big and we decided to do the 15 golden rules of hobby podcasting one of those rules was my rule that said if you're a hobby podcaster don't do more than two shows a week because you're just not going to have time for yourself to consume a video game or a tv show or whatever and then talk about it and then promote it and then connect with your audience you do more than two And you don't have time to eat and go to work and pay the bills that lets you podcast and that sort of stuff. Since then, I have kind of drawn back. I I will still maintain that. But I will say that really, if you're in 2022, if you're going to do all the things to grow your show and engage your community as a hobby podcaster with a full-time job, family life, and trying to continue a holistic person maybe one, but definitely no more than two. So that's been a mainstay of better podcasting for seven years now is only do two shows and then treat yourself to some off time. We all talk about taking time off from your podcast, having vacations. We talked about seasons. We'll probably talk a little bit more about that, about you mentioned something before I wanted to double back on. You had been doing podcasts for so long and what is the right length of a podcast? You look at, uh, is it time to end the podcast? And, um, and probably scheduling too. So let's just start with the longevity of the shows. Is What is too long for a show? That's a really, really great question. No one has, I've done a million of these kind of conversations and no one's ever asked that question. And even I think I'm sort of bad at answering it because there's something different about a project you create yourself that has got all your blood, guts, sweat, and tears in it, not somebody else's. It's not some TV show you enjoy that ends after 10 seasons. There's nothing you can do, A, to control that, and B, if it ends and you think it's too early to end, well, what are you going to do? Just say, oh, well, I sure enjoyed that show. Sadly, it's ending. No more Seinfeld, no more you know whatever the show is. But when it's your own thing and you've created this thing and worked hard on it and built it over time, there is this feeling of like, well, if it's going well, I don't want to end it. Like, I just want to keep it going for as long as it can go. And I used to think that was like this badge of honor. And in some ways it is. But in other ways, you can see on the horizon when things are going to run a course or when maybe is the right time to pull the train over. And ignoring those, I think, is can be done at people's peril. I think you shouldn't ignore them. It doesn't mean you have to end. But it's good to every once in a while ask the question. And I'll give you an example. In 2006, January of that year, I launched a podcast called The Instance, which became, up until recently, the biggest thing I'd ever made. It was a World of Warcraft-focused 
podcast, which at the time there were only like three or four, which is why I started it. Now there are hundreds or there were last I checked. We started the show kind of perfect time for both the game and the attention of the players. And also podcasting was still in its infancy and it was just a great time to launch it. And I didn't really even know it at the time, but it turned out to be all, all those, you know, planets aligned for that particular show. And we immediately took off. We got featured on iTunes, which was also just now, you know, th- that was their first foray into podcasting that year, that same year, uh, where they had, you know, listings and all of that. It took off like crazy and, and blew past everything else I'd done up to that point by magnitudes. And I remember the time just going, man, this is the greatest thing. I'm never going to stop doing the show. I'm just going to keep making this. And for a really long time, it was my core passion to make. It was the number one thing that I focused on. I had other projects, other shows, other things, but they, you know, paled in comparison to the overall like passion and, and momentum that the instance had. And I just ended that show this year, <laughs> 16 years of that show. And I finally ended it. Now, here's the truth. If I'm honest about it, I probably could have ended it 2018, maybe 2017. Even. Because at that point, we were sort of past the height of it all. We were definitely in the downturn. And by the downturn, I just mean, you know, the game is nearly 20 years old. Everybody and their dog has played it. It's not the cultural touchstone it was at one point. And even my own interest in it, I played it to death. Like I've done everything you can do in the game. And so for me to create commentary and content around it became more and more of a job and less and less of a passion project for me. And I realized that I was actually just kind of holding myself back and expending a lot of energy trying to make that work where I could spend it elsewhere and make better products elsewhere. So I finally made the very difficult decision to end it. If I were to do it differently, I'm a big fan of the seasons. Okay. I like seasons because seasons have an automatic implication in them, which is let's say you design them as 10 episode seasons for your podcast. You know that after season one, if you commit to two, great, you're now you're doing two and you know 10 more are coming. You get the end of two and you go, you know what? We're going to go with three. Great. You got 10 more of those. Now you've got 30 episodes of a show. It's going great. It may go for another 10 years or however many seasons you can fit in those 10 years. Or you may decide at the end of season four, you know what? We've run our course. And that makes sense to everybody, to you, to the people who listen, to everybody who's come in contact with your show, large or small. They understand the structure of seasons. They've seen it their entire lives on television and in different ways. Trilogies of films is a good example, even though it's only three. But you know, this structure lends itself well to start and stopping points and knowing how to contain these things that get a little bit out of control. If you don't think in that regard, then you're never sure quite when to do it. It never feels right because you don't have an ending point. You're just at a thousand episodes and you don't know where to go from there. I say this with at least two, possibly more of my mainline shows right now that are just in perpetuity. My morning show is at episode 2000, I can tell you, 2,346 as of tomorrow. That show's been on the air since 2011. I have no desire to end it. But also morning shows are different. They kind of go on in perpetuity. Whereas a show that's focused on, let's say, a video game, like The Instance, had an expiration date, whether I liked it or not. So it's not going to be a hard rule for every single thing you do. And by all means, if you're still having a blast, keep making it as long as you want to make it. It's just, there's something about the structure of seasonal content that at least gives you some markers and says, here's where we started. Here's where it only temporarily ends until we make a decision. Okay, now we've made a decision. Now it temporarily ends over here and so on and so forth until you you know, you decided you've done enough. And I think that goes down easier for you as the creator ending your show. And it goes down easier for the listeners who, who count on it being there. So on the Apple TV Plus show, The Morning Stream, who's going to play Scott Johnson? <laughs> well, they stole our acronym, those jerks. <laughs> we, we love to give them crap about that. But yeah, my, my, it's funny. The Morning Show is a weird egg because... Somebody out there is going to hear this and kind of, I think they're going to feel a similar way about whatever they're passionate about. But ever since I was a kid, I wanted to make morning radio, but I wanted to make good morning radio because I think morning radio generally is bad. I think it's just bad. No offense to morning radio people. 
but traditional terrestrial radio with its traffic and weather on the nines and its overuse of commercials and its constant honk honk wink wink sort of humor and laughing at nothing just really grinds on me i can't stand it it feels disingenuous it feels it just feels like it's it's phony baloney from day one but i know that there can be magic in a morning show there have been moments in my life where i've heard one and gone and now that's the energy i'm looking for so for me in 2011 it was just i'm going to finally pull the string on this and go and do my own and who cares where it goes just see what happens i'm going to do it 4 days a week plus some extra stuff on the weekends and we're just going to see and it's some of the most fun rewarding community building wonderful thing we, uh, that we've ever had so sometimes just your wild dumb idea about i could do this better or i don't like what i'm hearing on the radio so i'm going to do a version of it some of those have been my m- most successful the same thing happened with warcraft i didn't like what was being done i couldn't listen to those other shows they either really poor quality or lousy mics or didn't know when to hit stop and start and end up with five-hour shows for no good reason and and i just thought well i I know i can do better than this so i'm just gonna do it and those always end up being my biggest things it's the ones where i think it's like oh no we should plan this out and really think about the demographics today and who who's our intended audience like that kind of thinking slows me down does not do much good for me and i can't speak for everybody obviously but for me those passion gut instincts have paid off for me and there's something to be said about having some sort of a plan going into things i mean the three guys one microphone sitting around their dorm room thing okay that might work depending on what your content is sort of thing so there is that aspect of things but i agree be creative creativity is what's really going to drive this industry as it goes forward even from the hobbyist standpoint of getting noticed like how is your show different what's the topic you're talking about how are you approaching it differently than everybody else because you can't depend on fame to circle back to another thing you mentioned don't overschedule yourself what are some keys to scheduling yourself that you use that could be applied to passion or hobby podcasters oh man um in the early days, it's changed, it's evolved, but finding what you really want to do, because you're right, three guys in a microphone is like the most like standard freaking bog standard idea, right? Like, hey, we're all friends. We get along. We should talk on a microphone. I say that knowing that like my show Film Sack, which is me and three other guys sitting around a microphone <laughs> talking about movies is kind of that, but we... Well, we have the advantage of starting kind of early in the scene. We started in 2009. And that shows, like, for single episode downloads is the biggest thing I have right now. That and the core gaming show are about neck and neck. But, but anyway, the, the point is, if you've got the right personalities, great. That's a start. That's where you get going. But what you really want to do is have a point. And the point for us was streaming services are a thing. And back in 2009, they were only a thing for about a year and a half. And it was mostly Netflix. That's all there was, really. What we noticed on those, in those early days is that Netflix was putting a bunch of old, crummy 80s movies on there. Sometimes 90s, but just junk. Stuff you don't care about. Things like horror movies and bad action films and this sort of thing. And I thought, well, that's fun. Why don't we talk about those? We like bad movies. Let's watch them and then get together and talk about them. Play clips from the movie. Have all this commentary. And... That was a relatively simple approach, but it was like this new idea in this burgeoning new space of of content streaming, of cutting out cable and going to streaming services. And that's done nothing but grow, which means the show has had nothing but an endless supply of content. Like we're nowhere near touching on everything, even though we're at, I don't know, almost 600 episodes. You know, there's a lot more than 600 movies. You know, every week is a delight and a good time. And so it's the perfect match of, hey, we've got the guys around the microphone part. Do we have the meaningful discussion part? And that came from, from our, all of our loves of film. And that finished the puzzle. I think that's honestly all it takes. I think if anyone out there is like, you know what? Me and my two college buddies, we are so funny together. We should totally do a podcast. I agree. But decide now what you're going to talk about. It can't just be, we're just going to sit around and laugh and tell stories. Unless you're really good at that. Like if you're really good at that, then that's great. Do that. That's 90% of what comedians turn podcasters do. 
but they're also stage trained comedians who can do that with the drop of the hat. And that's kind of their whole world. And they bring a lot of audience with them. For the rest of us, we got to kind of start at zero. And to do that, we need to not only have the personalities that mesh, the laughs that come, the, you know, the intelligent back and forth that needs to be there. But what else is there? And I think you can pretty easily just glom onto the stuff you love and you'll, and you'll find it. And, you know, for us, it's always been niche sort of nerd content, whether it's film or comic books or, you know, television or, you know, it's just the, just the state of the nerd world right now where we're just having an overabundance of content that is aimed at us that provided a huge place for us to, to talk around. And just 10 years prior to that, I don't think it would have worked because it just wasn't the same world. So I think that's key. It's just kind of hard to explain how we did. I, I just got excited one day about old crappy movies on streaming services and how it was just suddenly available to us in this very easy to get to way. Just fire up your browser and bam, you're watching, I don't know, killer clowns from outer space. And that felt like enough of a unique part of modern life that we could say, we're going to do a show around that thing. And it's not that different than doing a show around World of Warcraft or a show around whatever it may be, daily news or comment or uh, uh, politics or whatever happens to be your jam. Grab that thing and then apply your three guys in a microphone to it, not the other way around, if that makes sense. It does. And as far as the scheduling goes, are there... You know, you limit yourself to like one show with your fellow guys to do that. And hopefully you connect with your audience and you're able to promote and grow your community from that. Just try to limit the amount of creative projects you have going on at the same time. I mean, yeah, the the hard part for me is how do I how do I put this? Like a lot of show content producers spend a lot of time with making sure all the gaps in, in sentences and all the uhs and, and uh, ums are gone. Like they really are aiming for like this perfection in final edit sort of approach, which I have no problem with. And I like constructed content like that when I'm consuming it. For me though, one of the keys to this all working at all and happening every day at the rate it's happening for me is getting really good at filling the air on the fly, but not with just fluff, with actual content, with meaningful content. And it's a skill. You got to get good at it. You have to get good at being able to say things on the fly, react to other people on the fly, and not just uh, laugh at them and say the same three things you always say. That'll never get you anywhere. But being able to just really mush all our brains together and have them fire constantly for the hour, hour and a half, two hours that you're recording, that all you have to do when you're done is maybe slap an outro and intro on that show and put it up. And in my case, I play all that stuff live anyway, so it's it's all there. And I do very, very little editing. If you can do that, I think it's a real... Uh, it's awesome. If you can afford some producer to do all that for you, even better. Do that. But you know, just know going into it that if you're going to be really fastidious about every sentence, every word, every single thing, even mistakes, like I'll make huge mistakes on a show and my brain goes into a binary choice mode. It says, all right, you can mark this and go back and fix it later, which sometimes I'll do. Or I can let it fly. I can lean into it and I can self-deprecate my way around it. And often I'll do that because in my case, can't say this is true for everybody, but in my case, I think that endears the listener-host relationship more than me editing. Uh, basically, I am who you get. And I realize that in some cases, maybe that's not a great idea. And it's good to edit out a bunch of stuff. But in my case, my actual personality and attitude translates extremely well to live, live audio. <laughs> and so I just let it go. And I think you kind of have to do that to make that work. If it didn't, if I didn't do that, I don't know how I would have raised these three kids, done this on the side, had a full time job. I like I don't know how it would have worked if I'd have gotten too bogged down and you know worrying about every single word and every single sentence and every single bit of timing. That just would have slowed me down to the point that I'm not sure I would have gone for it. How much do you think preparation helps you in those live stream events as you're going through your podcasting creative process? Well, for me, it's, it's a big part of it, but it's not a Bible sort of approach. It's basically, for example, 
every day for the morning show, I have a, an outline. And in that outline, we've got n- links to the news we're going to cover or stuff we're going to talk about at the top of the show or maybe a quiz we're going to do in the middle of the show for a prize or whatever 100 things we were doing for your average Tuesday. And every day, I fill that all in, usually the night before. I kind of have a, a checklist of everything I, I want to make sure to hit. And structurally, you know, we have the structure of the show. And we have roughly how much time we want to fill. It's an hour and a half. Typically, we go a little over, go a little under. It's fine. We're not that hardcore on that. But once the outline is sort of there, none of it's like red, you know, like your intro you did today, all your, your, your sort of conversational style, you approach the news about what's going on with space stuff and all that. That's basically what I'm doing. You know, like I've got in my head, what I've read, what I've studied about, what I looked up the day before you know, what I brushed up on because we knew we were going to talk about it or whatever. And then that and some really simple outline type notes is all I need. The rest of it is just off the cuff. And usually we're, you know, we're not, we never stick to any old script anyway. Something, if something looks like we're going to go in a certain direction and I think it's a valuable direction, we'll just go there. So preparation is important, but only from like a being prepared to go off track which sounds weird, but I think that's an important part of the prep. No matter what you write, assume that you may skip right over it, or you may go deeper than you thought you would, or you may get distracted by some side PS comment in the email you're reading and spend more time answering the PS than you did the actual email question. Like Those things are all going to happen, and it's 100% okay that you do. you got to trust your instincts to go the direction that you think the content is dragging you. So... To more simply answer your question, I think preparation is always important no matter what you're doing in life, but I don't like the idea of it shackling me to some script. I hate that. So I never work that way. Since you are obviously a Hall of Fame award-winning podcaster, which is awesome, by the way, how have you improved from start to get where you are today? What What is one or two things that you know that you've improved on over the years to get you to the skill set you're at today? Um, that's such a good question. One or two. Um, probably, <laughs> well, part of it is just doing it has trained me to be a better time filler and communicator. Just the act of doing it every day. And doing diverse numbers of shows and having them all be different focuses has trained me to pretty much, you could put me on a stage right now and say, grab that microphone and give me a half hour. I could do it. I could do it. I'd pay 10 bucks to see that. Oh, I'd I'd do it in a heartbeat. Like, what's weird is here's how I know that was getting better for me. In the early days, we'll call them 2010 to 2013, let's say, when I was doing things that involved a stage, or I'd get invited to a con and I have to speak, or I'd, at my own events, I'd get up in front of a thousand people and do my thing. I was terrified. Like that's a different venue than me behind a microphone at home. Even if I got a big chat room, it's still just me, you know, and I can deal with that. I don't have to look at all their faces. So that kind of stuff freaked me out in those, those early days. But the more I did it and the more I just got used to, you know, filling air with, with content, it got easier and easier to the point that, for example, in 2018, I was asked to, do a Q&A panel at BlizzCon for the World of Warcraft development team that year. And that was 30,000 people in that audience. And I thought I was supposed to be terrified, but it never happened. I never got scared and I never got nervous. And that was weird. It was almost like I was watching it from afar, seeing myself not be freaked out by this and having a natural confidence, not one I had to psych myself up for. I just knew I had the chops to do it, even off script. If I had nothing, if all I did was just thrown up there and said, all right, well, get, let's get this going. I could have done it. And I did. I got up there in 2018, 30,000 people, had a great time. Crowd yelled and cheered. It was a big, fun time. They told me it was one of the best we'd done. They maybe, maybe they tell everybody that, but <laughs> 30,000 people later, I walked off there and was just fine. It like it was nothing. And I'm not saying that this is going to be true for everybody and everybody's going to have different levels of anxiety about this sort of stuff. But for me, that was a big revelation of like, oh, well, if you do something, you know, the 10,000 hour rule, for example, you do something so many times and for so long that it just kind of becomes like breathing. That's how I feel right now. Like, I don't, I don't have any concern about 
any of that, you know, like used to be, I'd be guesting on people's shows like this one and I'd be a little bit nervous about it. I don't do feel that way anymore. Cause I just know a, you know, whoever it is, I'm going to get along with them just great. And I'm going to talk about stuff I like. So what's the big deal there. And there's no reason to be freaked out by it. And so, yeah, I think to answer your question, I do this a lot. I, I, I tell a giant story around your question and then I finally answer it. Here's your answer. I think the ability to do that stuff on my feet, on the fly, at a moment's notice, that's a skill that has absolutely improved. It's not even one I aim to improve. It just happens when you do this long enough and do it enough. That makes a big deal for me because no matter what happens, no matter what goes down, we could have a guest die on the air while we're interviewing him, for example. I hope that never happens. But let's say we had a guest on the morning stream just kill over in the middle of, a, of an interview. I think I could deal with it. I think I'd know what to do and how to deal with it and what to do next and how to move us on and you know all of those things. That's an extreme example, but, but I feel that way. And I didn't always feel that way. So I think that's a good measurement of something that improved for me. You said one or two. Maybe that's the only one. I don't know. That's another fine. one. The other one's more like, um, I don't know. I guess I'm, I don't know what I am. I don't know what another one is, but I feel like that was always the chief goal or the chief skill to improve without even knowing it. Because once you're good at that, you can talk to anybody about anything. Even people you really have hardcore disagreements with, I can have a really good conversation with, record it and have that go up and have people go, oh, that was a great interview. That's not always been true for me. So yeah, I think that's my answer. I would agree with that. It's actually come up in several of these chats, specifically the 10,000 hour rule. I think that was in Outliers. I'm not sure where the origination is of that just off the top of my head. But it's either Outliers or Tipping Point. I read both those and I can't remember which one it was in, but one of his two books. That is one of the reasons that I wanted a podcast because in my line of work, I have to get up and present to a bunch of people and I just wanted to get better at presenting. I wanted to get better behind the microphone. I wanted to get better improving, ad-libbing, that sort of thing. And I wanted to talk to people about what I like, the topics that I like. I wanted to develop a community around certain things because it just didn't exist. Uh, Voices of Defiance was one of my first podcasts about the television show Defiance. Nobody else was really doing it. So I was grateful to have that little community. And we got to talk to a lot of the actors and the, uh, the showrunner at the very end, too, got his thoughts on what the next season was going to be when they got canceled. So that was all great. I've also presented at panels at C2E2 in Chicago, at Gen Con in Indianapolis. Hasn't been 30,000 people, though. So I have to ask you, could you see the 30,000 people or were the lights in your face? So you just saw the 10 people in front. That's a really good question, too. I had the, the <laughs> here's the problem. I had to walk through that crowd to get to the stage, then go backstage and then come out again. And so I saw them going in and I honestly thought that would have been the freak out time, partly because there was a bunch of people I knew personally that were there to support me. They were in the front row. And they made me more nervous than any of them. Like everybody else is just one big stranger as far as I'm concerned. But the, the first two rows were like, oh my gosh, these are people I, these are friends and my family, my kids, my wife are all there. So that was, if anything, they were the most nerve wracking. But when I was actually on stage, the bright, the lights were bright enough that you could probably see, oh, you could see back far enough where there was at least 10,000 people in my view. But everybody beyond that's kind of muted. What would happen that, that would kind of weird me out or kind of give you a little bit of jolt is you're in the middle of talking. And if I said something that was funny or the, uh, the panelist said something funny or whatever, the erupting laughter and or applause or whatever was coming out of the crowd was so overwhelmingly loud that it was those moments you're like, oh, right. <laughs> this place is, you know, this is the entire Anaheim Convention Center all the way to the back wall filled with people who are watching this right now. And that acted as like this strange, almost like ocean waves of like, oh, right, we're in the water right now. Like, I don't know, it's hard to explain. That's a good analogy, in the water with waves. Yeah. A little okay. bit, yeah. And it was, the thing is, I, I would rather talk, to, I would rather be on stage in front of 30K, 30,000 people, than I would in front of 10 people of any ilk. That sounds like a nightmare. Like 10 people sounds like the worst idea ever. Oh my gosh. That, see, that freaks, that literally freaks me out. And I think the difference is what's the old statement? They usually do it around war or something, but like one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. I think there's some of that going on. 
where the more people there are, the less I worry about it. And the least, the less number of people, the more I do, because now it's like down to individuals and you're thinking about them individually and what their personalities are like and what they're hearing. And it's a weird dichotomy that I don't think I expected before experiencing it myself. I can do both. I do a lot of how to podcast panels or how to start your podcast panels. And sometimes at conventions, you only get like 10 or 20 people at those. But I also like the rooms where there's hundreds or even thousands. You know, I've been on stage with some important people. So I just personally, I, I get used to it or I've gotten used to it. And I don't have the, what's it called? When, when you get uh, starstruck, I guess, I, I don't really put famous people on pedestals because they're just people. They might be very successful people doing what they do better than anybody else out there, but they're just people when it comes down to it. So that's something no, you, that you I, and I are, you and I agree on that. It's actually been a real benefit to feel that way from the get go because. I end up interviewing some of my heroes, but I don't treat them weird on the show. Like I had Todd McFarlane, one of my favorite artists, creators, you know, founder of image, co-founder of image, the comics, like one of the most important, interesting, controversial dudes of his era. And I got to have him on the show and I loved every second of that interview, but it was far less restrained because we didn't treat it like, well, you're the celebrity and I'm just the guy talking to you. We, we just, laid it all out there. I asked hard questions that he probably wasn't expecting. And I think that's another skill that either comes to you right away or you have to work on. And I think that one, for some reason, just is not a huge deal for me. That sounds like not for you either. And I think that's good because otherwise those interviews always end up sounding like the person's just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're here. I can't believe you're sitting here talking to me. And you just get that vibe the whole time. And it, to me, it ruins those interviews. I like the ones where it's like, welcome to the show. So tell us how you feel about your new movie. Okay, cool. And then you get deeper and deeper and deeper. And you know, by the time you're done, you feel like friends were talking, not, not some weird class system of celebrity and scrub. One way I know to get around that is in case somebody does get starstruck, because we all have the one or two people out there that we're like, <gasps> I can't believe I'm talking to you, that if you're interviewing or you're having this conversation with multiple people, then you can rely on the other one, two or three people to step in while you just sit there going, I can't believe you're actually on the call with me right now. So that's one way for hobby or passion podcasters. That's a, a tip that I would give out there. Talking about hobby and passion podcasters, there are a lot of gearheads that are dealing with gear acquisition syndrome that listen to better podcasting that's in our audience. And they would not forgive me if I didn't ask you what gear you are using to record and stream on right now. So if you just go over that really quick. Yeah, super simple stuff. I like to keep things simple. Um, I'm using a Heil PR40, which feels like gospel standard for all podcasters uh, for my microphone. I do love it. I have two of those here in the studio. So when I'm recording with someone live here or uh, I do a show with my wife her and I use these, love them. They're great. Can't say enough about them. And I've had this forever. It'll never die. It's an amazing microphone. So there's that. I have a relatively simple, it's 16 channel, but I don't need that much. I just got a good deal on it. This mixer from Mackie that is by design. I got a, an analog one. I don't care about USB effects and all that crap. Like it bores me to tears to deal with that stuff. Plus USB audio is always a little weird. So I got an analog mixer. I run everything on all my production work is on a Mac. I use one of the new M1s and um, I cannot, cannot say enough about how awesome the new M1 Macs are. For once, it feels like for once in a long time, a company really touted a new thing and delivered it. The M1 is an incredibly adept piece of hardware to perform when it comes to lots of stuff, video editing and other things. But really with podcasting, I have, I'm, I'm forever hooked unless they screw these up. So I've been using that. Uh, what else? Uh, gosh, that's about it. I use a uh, an S7 Sony for my camera that I'm on right now. I got a Elgato lighting system in here. Nothing fancy. To record in the Logic? Pretty standard. Nope. I use uh, Audition, uh, Adobe Audition, and, and I use a little piece of Mac software called Loopback, mm -hmm. as well as its sort of sister software for soundboard stuff called Farago or Farago. I'm not sure I said never, never quite knew how to pronounce it. Anyway, these are two pretty simple little apps that let me do a lot of 
uh, virtual routing of of stuff so I can tell it what I want it to hear and what I want it not to hear. And it's just elegant and easy on here. Just super, super simple. My, I have a PC, but I use it mainly for gaming. And PC audio has always been a bit of a headache for me. So I'm definitely on the Mac side of things when it comes to that because there's just a real simplicity to the way that stuff works and I never have to tweak it. I like when that stuff gets out of my way and I can just make a show. But still offer really, you know, I want the quality is number one. Like, I don't want to make a show that sounds like crap. I refuse. But if I hit a certain baseline of quality, I'm, I'm happy. And I'll stick with this for as long as this makes sense. Who knows down the road, they may go, oh, the hot new thing, you got to get into this. And then I'll probably fiddle with it. But, and I try, I pay attention to all those trends, but I am a big believer in don't be cheap, but be simple. Because the more complex you make your your stuff, the less time you're spending creating and more time tweaking and fiddling. And unless that's your thing, if you like to tweak and fiddle, I don't, no, no poo poo toward anyone like who loves that. It's just not my jam. I want to get to. I want to make a show. And I don't want to think about all the technical problems while I'm doing it. And that's kind of what Stephen and I do. We tinker with stuff, also because we're trying to tinker with stuff for our audience and show them different ways to do things. I just upgraded, by the way. Myself a few months ago from the Mackie Pro FX 16 V2, so yeah. 16 channel Mackie mixer, and I upgraded to the Rodecaster Pro 2. And you're talking about simplification. I got rid of probably about two thousand dollars worth of gear and then yeah. shoved it all into that Rodecaster Pro. People 2. love that thing. I've heard nothing but good things about Rodecaster. That's one I'm actually interested in checking out, but I haven't. Well, the two is just amazing. I know Tom Merritt over on Daily Tech News Show just got the one. But yeah. the two is so for streamers, it's so much better. It's got so many other just tidbits to it. I highly recommend it for podcasters yeah. and streamers. It's expensive, but like I said, I replaced two thousand dollars worth of gear with it. So I'm happy with it. Yeah, like there's a bit you'll have some savings on the other end because there's a lot of other little bobs and whistles you probably don't have to worry about once you've got that thing. They they seem pretty rad. I just I've not fiddled with one, but everyone I've talked to, including Tom, just raves about theirs they love it so you created a podcast network frog pants what was the origin of the name oh okay so i do get this question sometimes so back in 96 7 something like that i'm still pretty newly wed kim and i are you know just starting our lives together or whatever and i had this wild idea about opening a kid's bookstore and she thought, well, that'd be cool one day. How do we do that? And we just thought about it a little bit. And we're like, what's, what's a cool name for a kid's bookstore? And I'm starting digging around and I'm re- registering domains left and right for other dumb things I'm working on and little projects here and there, my web comic that was coming up and all that. I settled on this, or I found, I like the name. I like frogs just from, a, from the standpoint of, hey, kids love frogs. Frogs are cool. What if it was a frog wearing pants and he was the logo and it's, you know, frog pants book bookstore. And, just super like kid friendly, funny, weird, you know, kind of art and stuff. And she goes, yeah, it's really good. So we, we registered it and just held on to it and thought, well, one day if we ever do this, we'll have it. Well, jump up to 2008 or so nine. And my accountant knows that I'm about to do this full time. I got to get a business license. I got to jump through all those tax hoops. I got to figure out what kind of business it is and my limited liability company, all the boring crap. And he says, you also need a name and we need to, you know, trademark it for the Utah submission and all this stuff. And I scoured everything I already owned thinking, well, maybe I've got something here. And I hit frog pants and went, oh, I still really love that name. Why don't we use this name? It's like 10 years later, but let's, you know, let's, let's just use it. It won't hurt. And even if we do the bookstore later, no problem. We'll just call it the Frog Pants Bookstore and it's just part of the company. And hell, we could do like the Frog Pants Cafe, Frog, you know, we can do anything with it. So I used it and it stuck and it worked out great. And the main, the main goal there was twofold. One, I wanted something a little quirky and fun that I could do art around and junk like that, but also something that was unique and nobody else was using. And Turns out nobody's using frog pants because it's a weird thing. And so I stuck with frog pants. The same reason I, I try to name shows that way now too. If there's like a new show, I try to go as far away from everybody else's stupid naming conventions as possible. Because if you know anything about 2022, it's impossible to be new anymore. Everybody's doing stuff and everybody's vying for your attention and everyone's an influencer and everybody's doing this left and right. So that was kind of my way of saying Here's a weird name. No one else will have it. It'll be uniquely mine. Boom. There it is. 
I know you're not just a podcaster. You are a creator, various different things. If you could have told yourself one thing, though, to make it easier when you started podcasting, what would you told yourself? Uh, And I don't easier. Yeah. What's one thing if you could travel back in time and tell yourself one thing sort of thing, you know, back to the future and you you give yourself the book of podcasting, but they can only take one page from it. What's the one thing that you would have tell, told well, yourself? Well, here's what I would do. I would take that time machine back to 1984 and I would find young me and I would say, guess what you're doing when you're old? You're doing exactly what you want to do right now. And then that kid would scream and yell stranger and run away. Okay. Then, <laughs> then I would get back into the time machine. I would fly to 2009. I would tell myself to st- to not sweat the little stuff. I was so stressed about, I mean, it doesn't even seem little when you say it, but I need to make sure we pay the bills. I can't, you know, my kids are, they got school. I got to keep food on the table. Like all these like life necessity, why we have to work sort of stuff. I was really concerned that, can I really do this? Can I knock this out of the park enough? I don't need to be, you know, I don't need to be a millionaire. I just want to cover my bases, pay my bills, and then do a job that I have passion for and that I love. And I think I was too worried about that. And I, if I could go back and tell myself, I would say, I mean, this is very 2020 vision here, but I would say, don't sweat that stuff. Just go for it. Just make the best content you can. There's a reason people like your stuff. Make more of it. You know, Make those fans happy. And that's all you got to do. You don't need to worry so much about where you know, your next paycheck is going to come from because it'll just work itself out. And it did. It totally did. It absolutely worked itself out. And there, you know, it's, it's unusual and weird. I don't have some guy giving me a check every two weeks. I don't have some automatic bank transfer from some company I work for. I got to buy my own insurance. Like there's all these issues that definitely come with this. Uh, I, I would tell myself not to sweat that stuff. Just accept it for what it is. Implement what you have to get legal with whatever you got to do and then just go and make. I think that's what I would do because I spent an inordinate amount of time worrying about that crap and I didn't. Oh yeah. I'll bet. I have not been self-employed ever. So I don't have that uh, mindset, so to speak. Not like I haven't, I've started companies, I've started charities, 501 C3s, but I just don't have the desire to do that. I like my job. I'm a rocket scientist. I like doing Mm -hmm. that stuff. Do you have any nitpicks or gripes with the general podcasting industry that, you think would make podcasting better if something would change? That's a great question. Yeah, I do actually. It's changed over the years. I used to have a lot of complaining to do about comedians who got into podcasting and then felt like they invented the medium because they brought a big audience over with them. And so all of us who had to kind of build something from scratch, they just can't relate to that. Like that just doesn't make any sense to them you would start at zero. So the Mark Marins of the world and the Joe Rogans of the world and these people, they're all fine. I'm not, no problem with anything they make. It's all great. But I, I didn't love, you know, in 2010 or 12, them going, well, now, now the podcasting's the thing. I was like, no, it's been a thing. Been doing it forever. Been doing it before a couple of, a couple of you were doing anything. So that kind of drives me a little nuts. Small, it's petty. It's what's changed more for me is my irritation with the business side of it and big companies trying to capture podcasting as if it's in their own garden. Spotify's guilty of this. Apple's been guilty of this. Although, if anything, Apple's been the most hands-off because they kind of have never quite known what to do with it. They just sort of had it and had the advantage of being named after their products and you know they're all of that. So it's a little bit weird, but Everybody in some way or another, and in particular now Spotify, they try to create these paid systems where you can only get the content there. And it makes me, it annoys me. I understand the need to monetize and I think they should. What annoys me is this idea that, well, you have to get it through us or you can't get it. That's the antithesis of podcasting and the very roots of the technology. It flies in the face of that. The technology was designed to be wholly distributable no matter who you were where you were how you got it and i think that should stay as pure as possible through whatever the lifeline of this thing is for as long as possible but the problem is the more money it attracts the more these guys get these ideas of like well what if we captured 60 percent of the podcasting market by locking in a bunch of these shows as exclusives and then people have to pay to get to them 
this paywalling of, of podcast content really bums me out. So I, I hope I hope we see less of that moving forward. You would have loved to have been at Podcast Movement in 2021, not this year, but last year, because Mark Cuban got up on the stage and said mm-hmm. we were all wrong and told us that we had to do it right by using his new thing. Mm-hmm. So kind of kind of what you're talking about right there. But I witnessed it in person and uh, I had hoped to get some advice from Mark, you know, kind of inspiration, the way that big keynote speakers come in and do, but no, no, he just paid to get the stage to hawk his fireside chat thing or whatever it is. Yeah. And all that stuff is again, like big wigs and big money getting involved. Isn't it really my problem, but it's this wanting to bend it toward themselves to bend the entire thing toward themselves. To me, that just forgets its origins. It forgets its roots. And I realize that, you know, I could be a guy talking about ham radio right now, or I could be a guy talking about, the way old radio used to work or early television or closed, uh, or, you know, uh, local cable, what do they call that? Um, not cable, but the cable access cable. Local. A- yeah. Local access cable, that kind of stuff. Like people will, will troglodyte themselves and stand there and pound the sand and go, this was better when no, when they weren't involved. I get, I get that. And I'm also averse to that. I like change. I, when it comes to technology, I'm very much progressive. Let's progress. Let's move. Let's do all of that. It's just, there's something just a little bit more wrong about saying, well, we need to take podcasting and bend it to our particular brand and will. I don't like that at all. Um, and everybody thought Apple were going to be the worst offenders. They're not even close, like not even remotely close. And they even have a little, you know, Hey, uh, if we choose your show and put it as part as the Apple exclusive stuff, you could get extra, whatever. I mean, they, they've made little attempts here and there, but it hasn't been nearly as egregious as Spotify as Google at one point, although Google seems to not care about any of it anymore. But that's kind of a Google thing. They, they tend to just leave stuff. And Amazon, you know, they've got their ideas. Facebook dropped their podcast directory. I mean, everybody tried to get in and get a piece of the pie. I just wish they weren't also focused on making sure. It's like this metaverse talk. It's the same thing. It's like, the metaverse needs to evolve like the internet itself. Podcasting needs to evolve like the internet itself. It needs to be a free and open and available standard, not some locked away thing or else we're just back to cable companies and back to one company controls everything. And there's already too much of that as it is. So yeah, that's a, probably longer than I meant to have that go, but I'm, I'm annoyed by that stuff. Hey, in the metaverse, I'm going to have the best darn podcast studio on this 450 foot yacht in the middle of this gorgeous panoramic view in the Caribbean or the Mediterranean or something like that. Mm. I'm all for the metaverse and podcasting. Yeah, let's do it. Those two going. They just have to be open. That's it. Like whenever I hear Facebook slash meta act like they're going to be the gatekeepers to all things metaverse, I just laugh. It's not going to happen that way. I'm sorry. It just isn't. Any more than AOL did or anyone else did when the internet was the version of the thing we're looking down the barrel of. Like it just didn't, it doesn't work. It may work in this splash or a moment or a quick fix, or you'll make a bunch of money before it changes, but people don't want that. And they don't want it. Like there's a, there's an app on uh, VR devices, including the meta quest, but also all the PC stuff and everything called uh, VR chat, stupid name, even. Developed by two guys. Now they got a bigger team, but it's basically just two guys. And it's just Wild West in there. It's insane. And people say, well, that can't be the future of the of the of VR and meta. And I'm like, no, it can. And probably likely will be, because that's the pattern this stuff goes. The internet was that. It was a Wild West. It was weird. It was weird message boards and usenets and all this crazy crap. And you know, then the web web came along and then everybody's like got their own websites and it's all just crazy town. And then people tried to control that, bring it in, make it in their own little garden. I don't think anybody trying to do that, it's a fool's errand. And there may be some short-term money in it, but it's not the long-term. And that's why I want podcasting to maintain its independence as a format and not get roped into some, some bull crap. I just don't want it. I don't want, I don't want, I mean, I always try to evolve with the stuff, but that, that one would really bum me out of one company controlled the fate of all podcasting freaking forget it well i don't want to bum you out let's uh let's end on something positive so <laughs> you look back on your career of podcast your lifelong successful career of podcasting and it doesn't have to be one or the most or anything 
But what is a fond or favorite moment that you've had over the course of the 20 some years that you've been podcasting? Oh my gosh, there's so many. It's hard for me to pick one. That stage gig at BlizzCon was a big deal. Probably. Mm, okay, I know what it is. This is going to seem weird. Maybe not. There's been a bunch of great interviews, a bunch of great moments, very funny moments, like stuff I, you know, sub clips of, and I still look back on fondly and all of that. But I think the big one for me in particular was Nerdtacular 2015. Probably the best event we ever threw. We rented out an entire ski resort up here in, in the canyons above Salt Lake City. We had this huge ballroom and, you know, all this space and everything. It's up in the mountains in the summer. So it's just beautiful up there. Cooler than the rest of the valley, all that. So it was already just this really nice setting. And there was a moment when I was on stage toward the end of it where I looked out on that crowd and I saw so many faces that I only know because of this effort, because of this, of, of the shows of the, of me doing this work. It's the only way I know these people. And I realized how many of them I consider to be close personal friends, people who I care about very deeply that I worry about that I, you know, they have babies and I get excited and we send them gifts, like just this like new family. And then as I see this, I'm standing there with my wife, Kim, next to me and my three kids, my two daughters and my son standing all up there together and realized I had that going on. And there was something about that moment that just made me go this, everything about this was worth every second of it. And it's funny that it all really just came down to relationships and people and family and, you know, some very primordial human stuff. But that was the effect of it. And that's when I knew it was all worth it in this weird way. And, you know, I've always told people that I had an advantage raising my kids. They're all, you know, my youngest is now 22. But when I was in the thick of all this, they were 10 and six and four. And, you know, they were little kids. This all had a way of them thinking I was a little cooler than I am. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I'm kind, yes, of a, I do. I'm kind of a pud like everybody, everybody else. But they just saw this person who was getting constant, you know, getting all this fan mail or getting things sent in the mail or showing up to an event like this and everybody wanting to shake your hand and get your signature and this sort of stuff. I think they all helped me raise my kids. And, and, I, and it sounds weird to say that, but they just had very little to complain about. They couldn't go to school and go, my dad's so lame. They couldn't do that because it would just wouldn't have been true. And I'm not even saying it's me doing it. I'm, it's the, it's, it's what surrounded me. So like, I'm really grateful for that, for that community being around during that time, because it just, I don't know, it made for so much fun at home and kind of across the board, the, the takeaway for me that day, that moment on that stage. And it literally was like just a moment was just like, this was all worth it. And all of these people matter to me. And I, and it was like this moment of, I wouldn't change a thing, even though there was probably a thing I would change. It didn't matter in that moment. I, I just like, this is perfect. This is right where I want to be. That's probably it. It's a, it sounds a little high-minded and out there, but I think that was probably my, my it's biggest perfect. thing. What you just did is you wrote the ending to the hit streaming movie on Apple TV plus <laughs> the morning stream and yourself played by, I don't know, Seth MacFarlane up no. there on stage with everybody. You just wrote it, and it's just—it's going to be such a hit, Scott. It's going to well, be. Well, I hit. can't wait. Uh, Seth MacFarlane, a uh, good guy. He's, he's going to have to gray his hair up a little or let it go. I know it's kind of gray now. He just colors it. So, so Seth, you know, start looking a little bit older, and uh, yeah, you can play me. And if he's not around, you know, some other handsome, good-looking dude. I'm starting to look like old Russell Crowe instead of young Russell Crowe. So maybe, maybe that's the guy. Maybe hire him. I just. Just saw Thor Love and Thunder over the weekend. <laughs> so Zeus, I completely yeah. get what you're saying. Completely get. And then I saw Brendan Fraser, you know, out, out in the stands with his new movie. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I know, yep. right? It feels like a thousand years ago that he was in Sino Man and look at him now. And I don't know. Time time is weird, but but yeah, it's uh, I would rather be doing this with my time than just about anything else. All right. Well, thank you very much, Scott, for coming on and expounding your knowledge and experience to the better podcasting audience. Where can people find you? Well, the easiest place is frogpants.com, which, uh, again, is a really old domain now. You can go there and you can find everything. There's links to all the shows, all the artwork I do, which didn't even, we didn't really even get into, but all the comics and illustration work I do, that's all there. It's a weird kind of two-ply two company. 
where there's a lot of art and a lot of podcasts and you'll probably enjoy a mix of them. So uh, whatever you're into right now, you'll find something there that's frogpants.com. And if they're trying to find me publicly, I talk to everybody on Twitter. So you can find me over at twitter.com slash Scott Johnson. And you also have that great Discord community too. Is the link for that on your website? It is. If you go to frogpants.com slash Discord directly, it'll take you straight there. Um, but it's also all over the place on the contact page and all the sub pages and everything. So it's everywhere you look over there. And it's a good community. We got a lot of great people in there. Kind of an extension of the group. It's funny. When I started doing this stuff, it was all forums. And then things went very social media. And now Discord's making out all kind of forums again. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird seeing all of that happen. And I know, you know, there's a bunch of kids today, early 20s kids who are like, Discord's all there ever was. I'm like, no. <laughs> Things have changed yeah. a lot. Children. They have. <laughs> all right, Scott. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And thank you for spending your time with Scott and me. If you like content like this, please subscribe to the Better Podcasting YouTube channel and like the video. Or if you are listening to the audio version of this, please give Better Podcasting Chats with SP a follow on your podcatcher app. Steven and I would greatly appreciate it. Now, in two weeks, which means I'm taking next week off, I have a little fall vacation that I take every year. So in two weeks, I have some time scheduled with Jamie Taylor from the United Kingdom. Now, Jamie has been podcasting since 2017 and is currently the host of three podcasts, the .NET Core podcast, the Waffling Tailors, and Tabs and Spaces. Mostly it's about coding and development. Jamie wants to talk about getting started podcasting, planning out episodes, avoiding the dreaded gear acquisition syndrome, the dangers of stretching yourself too thin, and the art of trying to be a good facilitator. So join us on Tuesday, September 27th, 2022 at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. It'll be streamed on the Better Podcasting YouTube channel. In the meantime, you can join our podcasting conversation on our Discord server, betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. You can find both Stephen and myself there every day. And stay tuned for future announcements on the return of Better Podcasting. See you next time.